0: Ronnie, Riley Esno, known indigenous i I'm Riley Esno, and you're listening to Red Certains.
1: Test one, test two, do you mind testing? one, two. Great. Thanks. Here we are. Yes. <laughs> Riley in the Indigenous Politics Collaboratory, um, in our vocal booth. We're getting lots of traction on this space. Lots of people coming in and out. Not lots, some. There will be lots eventually. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's fun to be in here. Uh, It's a fun space to bring other people into, and it's also fun that you're starting your own podcast. Um, And that is what we're here to talk about, is Red Surgeons. Mm -hmm. Um, But before we talk about Red Surgeons, I kind of wanted to back up a little bit. Um, This episode is to let people know um, a little bit more about who you are, The reasons why you wanted to start Red Surgeons, um, and why you, for Red Surgeons, I suppose. Um, But before really answering those questions, and I don't even know if we'll actually answer those questions, um, I wanted to back up and tell a little story of how I actually first got to know you and your work.
0: Okay, I don't know this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So when I was um, relocating to work here in the Department of Political Science at U of T, where the Indigenous Politics Collaboratory is located. I was given packets of information about the TRC committees that were working out of the university to respond to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission uh, calls to action from 2015. Um, I was given lots of information about Indigenous initiatives and faculty and programs here at the University of Toronto. And colloquially, I asked a very simple question about um, indigenous students here in the department. And I think my question was something to the extent of like, how many indigenous students are there in the Department of Political Science? Mm. Um, I got varying answers, but uh, I remember they all gravitated around an answer, which was, there are none. And I was shocked, not because of what that answer was, Um, But because a simple Google search (laughs) and search on Twitter, let's say, led me to multiple Indigenous students that were students here in the department. Mm. Um, You were one of them. And so before even really starting and teaching officially here at the University of Toronto, I saw your speech to Parliament Mm. that was from years past. And was struck by how someone like yourself who already had been politically prolific in that regard, um, wasn't as emph- emphatically recognized mm. in the discourse to introduce me to the department and to answer my simple question. Mm. Um, and so I think that you've already proven to have a record of being politically prolific, and now you're doing commentary for politics, uh, talk shows here in the city and across Canada, working with the Yellowhead Institute, uh, a locally based indigenous um, think tank here in Toronto. You're a PhD student now in the department doing your own original research. Um, You know, these are all things that I think are parts of what make you who you are and what you are bringing to Red Surgeons. And so I wonder if you could talk a little bit more and tell people who um, don't know about Red Surgeons um, and perhaps know about you, um, a little bit more about yourself and how you came to doing this thing that we call um, academia. Mm. Yeah, and then also, you know, some of the work that you do outside of academia too.
0: Sure. Ooh, I'm like, it's a big one. I feel like, okay, um, maybe first, if I were to talk about uh, the rationale behind Red Surgeons, it's useful because I think it's the same sort of rationale that um, brought me to academia in a way. Um, so I grew up in Northern Ontario. And I love being from the north. I'm Anishinaabe. And so it's in Anishinaabe homelands. It's on the lakes that like, my ancestors grew up in. And I am very proud to be from the north. Um, but also, uh, it was a very um, limited experience or a unique experience, I guess. Um, I've been thinking about how to describe that lately um, because... Uh, of the population in Northern Ontario, or at least the city I was from in Northern Ontario, is Indigenous and usually very visibly Indigenous. It's a very specific lived experience. Um, And I uh, wanted to try and learn about um, indigeneity, I think, in a broader way. Um, And so that was part of the reason why I chose to go to Toronto um, and like I know Toronto likes to tout that it's like the multicultural hub of, you know, the whole world, basically. <laughs> um, and like as much as that, like I think now I-, I have a lot of criticisms of at the time when I was like 16 and thinking about where I want to go to school, I was like, that's where I want to be. <laughs> and so I came to Toronto. And found it to be, at first, um, a really isolating experience. Um, I was living on campus at U of T, um, and I had, like, these roommates. I, I didn't want to, but my mom and everybody was like, you have to live in res for the first year. Get the experience. And so I went there, and, like, they had, like, fathers and siblings that were professors and PhDs and super wealthy and often very white as well. And it was just um, like so alienating to be there. And I re- and it made turn me off from the academy for sure, too, because I was like, oh, so is this the type of person that belongs in places like these? Um, and so throughout my undergrad, it felt like it was a bit of like, a hall to kind of just get through the courses so that I could get the degree and like, you know, get out and find something that I actually wanted to do outside of the university sort of structure. But then as I spent my time in Toronto, um, I realized that... um, I, you know, Toronto is way more than just those, like, uh, really wealthy, already connected folks (laughs) that actually it was that, you know, in a way, really unique opportunity that Toronto likes to tout, Um, but, like, it made me be. It made me meet Indigenous people, diasporic Indigenous people, Indigenous people from across the globe, um, people from across Canada that ended up finding their way here. Queer Indigenous people specifically who felt like they, um, you know, often were gravitated towards urban centers where they could, you know, do different things. And so, like it, like totally opened up this idea I had of 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 community and connection. Um, and so. I I felt like I had done like a 180 in terms of uh, my experience. And then when I thought and I reflected about like what is the thing that make that so good, um, you know, it wasn't necessarily just like, you know, having people proximate to me. It was the relationships that I was able to cultivate with those people and the learning and the reciprocity that came with that in making good relations. Um, And so that's what I decided I wanted to study, and to I wanted to um, really question um, and see how have uh, those relationships always been there? What do they look like? What do um, our teachings have to say about that? How are we forging those going forward into the future? All of those sorts of things I really started to sit with. And then once I, I realized that that's what I wanted to study, university didn't feel like such a slog anymore. <laughs> um, it was, you know, uh, means to get to that goal, which was, you know, fire inducing as opposed to draining. Um, and it was, yeah, empowering. And then I thought about that. Um, and that was easy enough to do coming out of my undergrad. So I'm like, what, eighteen, nineteen, 19. Um, and then I was like, you know, I see it's important. It's nice. I get to spend uh, most of my year sitting and thinking about these things in, in an institution designed for that, so they say, um, but I was like, I also have to make sure that I'm doing that outside of just the academy, like that that's something that I still try and keep up in my, um, uh, in. I don't want to even say extracurricular because I feels often like it's the reverse. Um, but yeah, so like what sort of, um, how am I interpersonal relationships modeling those things that I'm learning about and studying? Um, and so like I've throughout the years have been able to make these really great connections with people that I've learned a lot from. And I was like, wouldn't it be great if we had a space where we could all share that together and talk about it and learn from one another. Um, and maybe people would listen to it and feel that same sort of excitement, energy, um, like transformative mindset that I felt like I got from just those relationships. Um, and so I think in a way, that's what my research is motivated on. But then it's also what Red Surgence is about or I wanted it to be about is people coming together to talk about those sorts of things um, that I also don't think we often get a lot of space to um, because we're really going through, you know, the throes of colonialism at all time. It's often about survival and very necessarily so. Um, but I think that it's also a part of that necessary work to just think about our, our relationships with one another.
1: This is a form of thriving and endurance, not just getting through the day or the the week or the month or the year, but pushing beyond the boundaries of constraint, which colonialism has entrapped us in mm-hmm. um, many different people and communities. Um, so Why red surgeons then? Um, I'm curious how you've come to the title of this show. Um, Certainly there are um, important uh, academic contributions and practical um, conceptualizations of um, resurgence and symbolisms of red, Um, but how did you envision this title, and, and what does it mean to you um, to have your show named Red Surgeons?
0: I, so I think, uh, yeah, first, hoping up on the, the root word of resurgence about it, um, it's kind of speaks to that point you made just before that, where it's like, those conversations that we aim to have, or that I was describing that I wanted to have, I think are um, a form of thriving, a form of, red, of resurgence in and of itself. Um, that I always think about uh, – I got really into, like, over the last year or two, like, um, Afrofuturisms and then Indigenous Futurisms. Um, and, like, so I'm really interested right now in this, like, how do we r- – what are we resurging towards? Like, what are we re-that part of it? Um, and I think it's, like, these these futures where um, – you know, we could have the land back. We could have the resources back. We could have all these things. But if we aren't good relations uh, in in that space, then what's the point of it all? Um, and so, like, to me, I think, yeah, good relations, having really critical conversations about how do we get to those spaces um, is one of the most necessary parts of of getting to a liberated future. Um and so that's where I think uh, I think it's an ultimate form of resurgence, perhaps, or a really necessary, huge one. And so that's where that was an emphasis. And then the other part being, um, you know, the symbolism around red, of course, um, often was uh, like I, I, you know, you grow up hearing all the like the red man sort of talk that the way that um, saying you're a red people is often used against native people as a way um, to like d- demean us. But then also there's all this reclamation. Around around like, the color red, the power of it, theorizing around it. I think it's awesome. And so it was just to symbolize in a way, too, that this is a conversation by and for and specific to indigenous communities um, as it relates to that relational piece.
1: This is one of the um, most powerful aspects, I think, of uh, your show, Red Surgeons. Um, not only your own voice in this and the people that you're bringing in and the relationships that you are cultivating and propagating with the show um, and your relations. Um, <clears throat> but also this staunchly political response to different forms of colonialism that you and others that you're bringing into the space to talk with um, have experienced. And <clears throat> that one of the sort of ways that that can occur is through symbolism regarding indigeneity and indigenous peoples as um, a status and as a um, living, breathing, enduring community of people in the world um, that caretake relations with other people, with our own peoples, and with the world itself. How did you come up with the idea for the different shows that you're um, interested in doing um, for Red Surgeons? I know that you've recorded some uh, shows already and that you're gonna be recording some in the future, but you've um, put out a kind of agenda, if you will, about uh, themes for shows. Mm -hmm. Um, Could you tell, us a little bit about some of those themes that you've already recorded, some of the ones that you want to record, and why are they important for this show? Um, and how I suppose also it makes what you're talking about and who you're talking with unique. Mm-hmm. Um, you've already mentioned thinking about queer indigeneity. Um, you know, what are some of those other th- sort of themes that you are interested in talking about on the show and also as a function of bringing queer indigenous people together uh, to propagate relations with one another and with where we are and elsewhere. Mm.
0: Yeah, so queer indigeneity, uh, one, uh, we, I suppose, at this point already recorded um uh, Afro-Indigeneity and Indigeneity and Blackness was another episode. Um, I wanted to do Indigenous internationalisms and um, in, in cross-generational um, exchanges as well, bringing in, like, really, really young people to young brains. Um, and I think the... Uh, so I, these are all, like, conversations that I've thought about for a long time. Um, as, you know, uh, how do I extend... Uh, My thinking to be alongside people other than those, you know, in my just my own communities and my own circles, which is um, already a really valuable thing I think to do. But again, as part of the necessary work, is like I want to be in good conversation with all sorts of other people, people whose our liberations I think are all bound together with. But also, um, I've been thinking a lot about it this day, where these days where I'm like, I also, you know, even if there was wasn't all of these structures um, of oppression in place, I would still want to be like good relatives to these people. And so like part of it is like that sort of uh, practice of just like um, having conversations that care about their ideas but then also like the actual communities of people that we bring in that I think often don't experience um, at least care structurally um, and so it's important for I think us to to be making those spaces that are based around care um, but also this the whole idea and a lot of I think the general themes were inspired uh, by a class I took with Michelle Dagle uh, like uh, in my fourth year of my undergrad Um which was Indigenous Internationalisms, I believe it was called. And, like, I just really appreciated the way that she had created her syllabus and broken down the conversation so that, like, one week we were talking all about um, indigeneity and Palestinian relationships. We were talking about um, indigeneity and blackness. And, like, it was so fruitful to have space dedicated just to reading about, thinking about and, like, discussing together um, uh, community in that way. Uh, and so I, I really loved the the blueprint she kind of made for that. And I, I definitely borrowed it a lot for thinking about how uh, we could like separate these thematically um, to achieve those goals I was talking about. Hmm.
1: Shout out to Michelle Daigle, um, <laughs> a, a Hoa and friend and comrade of mine, um, Professor Daigle and I were actually in this space with you uh, months ago at the beginning of summer, recording a panel for the Native American Indigenous Studies Association North um, particular conference that was being run out of Deshinta with Leanne Simpson. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about indigenous internationalisms. Um, A beautiful conversation Um, I've heard such great things about that class from uh, Michelle and from others like yourself. And um, I'm very honored and excited that Professor Daigle is going to be joining the Indigenous Politics Collaboratory as a member of our governing council. And so here in the Indigenous Politics Collaboratory, we have sort of three bodies of leadership that uh, democratically govern and lead the research and also the programming and the administration direction of the lab. It's a research council, the directorship, um, of which I am the current director, Wahikea Maile, I didn't introduce myself earlier, hello. Um, And also a governing council. Um, And so the governing council is made up of all indigenous faculty from U of T here in the faculty of arts and science. And so it's collaborative in that sense. There's folks from geography like Dr. Daigle from political science. Um, and also history, religion. So the direction of the lab itself is interdisciplinary in that regard. And um, Dr. Dago Michelle is somebody who's really pushing that uh, vision and mission in really important ways, especially in thinking about the intersections of indigeneity, like you said, um, considering uh, settler colonialism in places beyond just the territorial border of Canada or the geographic space of North America, but in the global south and in the Middle East. Um, And that's a really valuable um, principle for this lab as well in terms of collaborating across the um, status and political condition of indigeneity, but also collaborating within um, that identity for our peoples um, and just personally, Uahikea Maile, myself, Kanaka Mauli, not from Dish With One Spoon Treaty Territory. So it's an important um, way that I bring myself and my ancestors to this place. And I'm trying to fulfill the responsibilities um, to the ancestors of this place. Um, so, with that said, um, I wonder what your experience has been like. Um, moving between these spheres, uh, these publics, or as some have said, and I've heard especially here, um, uh, moving between the ship and the canoe um, <laughs> of, of the academic space, the community space, um, and how uh, your experience doing that up to this point is also culminating what you're doing here in um, Red Surgeons. Um, in bringing community members activists um, family members um, to the table to have conversations about resurgence and its associated um, issues that you mentioned
0: hmm. yeah I am um, the only thing I can keep think coming to mind is like how um, I always told myself that I would only be an uh, in the academy insofar as like I could find ways um, that it actually produces value for me and like the people around me. And I think that's only made possible because I think a lot has uh, changed in the academy over the last little years where there were pockets of places, I think, like the Indigenous Politics Collaboratory and like Yellowhead Institute and like all of these things that um, have like real serious goals that I-, I believe are about, you know, making that work beyond just the ivory towers of the space um and so like i think that having that sort of end goal in mind of it always being about like okay what does this actually serve in a broader purpose beyond just like getting a doctorate or, like, you know, <laughs> being in an elite space, as it were, in an elite colonial space. Um, as long as, like, that is the end goal in mind, um, I think that, like, we can find ways to, to make that work. But, um, and so that's what I... Uh, I find is like the I keep my eyes set on that goal and then that helps me move forward. but it's not to say that there aren't, I think, like always like barriers that pop up along the way and things that end up being far more complicated um, than I imagine in the process. Um, something I've been talking about like a lot uh, with my uh, com- with some folks in, in my circles in my community um, is about the way that like, because we are like actively living under colonialism, and like I and I think I spend so much time like just theorizing about it that I forget that it's an actual like living condition. Um, is that uh, you know dysfunction pops up so much because of that, and within our own spaces that people are, I think, at some capacity always a little bit in survival mode, um, and so that causes a lot of like trauma and and activation. And I don't think I've been in an indigenous space. As as much as I love them after uh, the time where dysfunction doesn't appear? Um, and how do we move through that, um, with compassion, without judgment, um, in a way that's actually supposed to be healing and doesn't recreate, um, just systems of harm. Um, and I think that it's really hard because it's really easy to just like rely back on colonial institutions or logics and, and like hide away in them when things, when the real impacts of colonialism, um, confront us and it gets really hard. Um, and so like part of it has been like, yeah, uh, I'm having these conversations now um, in this space, but like what I don't think people will see is like the, you know, dozens of conversation I've had in bars or in, uh, you know, hotel rooms or something like that, some other space before in my communities um, that didn't always just flow so lovely and like that, you know, didn't produce um, necessarily something, a production value. It's like years of, uh, I think, sharing ideas between people and refining them so that we can come to this space in a way that feels like, compassionate and generative Um, and like you know we are doing something that leads towards those goals of like uh better futures and sharing and refining ideas together Um, and so yeah there's i think a lot of behind the scenes work that uh, doesn't even also go on like you know you wouldn't write up on a paper (laughs) necessarily in that way
1: so i know that you've done a lot of behind the scenes work um being recognized for that um, receiving accolades, maybe not for all the bar conversations and the conversation in hotels, but for, for instance, you know, being recognized as the last, uh, well, two years ago, I guess, at this point, the University of Toronto President's um, Indigenous Student of the Year. Um, you've also been awarded the prestigious Venier um, Fellowship um, and some other behind the scenes work that you did. Um, was working with uh, Justin Trudeau. Um, (laughs) Do you have any uh, stories about consulting for Justin Trudeau that you want to tell the audience about? Um, Anything that uh, comes to mind that you um, keep coming back to in that time um, that maybe you, you wish that you... Uh, made a different decision about for your consultation or something that he said to you that rubbed you the wrong way or that you liked. Mm. Um, yeah, what what's a story about your work behind the scenes with Justin Trudeau that you might wanna tell your audience that is listening and viewing Red Surgeons?
0: Yeah, oh. Um. Yeah. So so much of it, I guess I, I always think about the, um, the my time on the Prime Minister's Youth Council has really taught me uh, to be patient and generous with myself um, because I remember and it was hard for me at first when I thought about how I went into the Prime Minister's Youth Council thing with so much energy. I was like, this is the best thing that's going to happen. Like I I'm going to make a difference in this space and whatever. And uh, to spoil it, that was not the case. I don't feel like, you know, at least those dreams I had of what I would do definitely didn't come to fruition um and it's hard not to feel shame around like that eagerness and that energy and that whatever like um like I've had people tell me stuff like oh how did you not know that the politicians were g- not gonna be shitty to you and like all of these things and like there's a part of me that wa- that like internalizes that and like oh god Riley 17 year old Riley you're so naive uh, but like then I was like you know what no I think that that Um, that eagerness, that generosity, that, like, hope that I went into that space with um, isn't something to be scoffed at. Um, I don't think it's something that I should, like, feel, uh, you know, I'm so hard on myself for or anybody should be for. And I'm glad, actually, now that I went into that space so that I could learn that that theory of change, that that space and that colonial institution was not going to serve me. And now I get to spend all my time pouring energy into places that I now know do. Um, So I see it as part of the process now. But, um, yeah, I, I think about how for so long, especially in those first few meetings, I like bent over backwards trying to find ways that I could convey the seriousness of the like recommendations I was giving to him in a way that resonated. And it was so frustrating because. I would say it so politely or I would say it even not as politely or I would say it in all of these ways. And it just still felt like he never actually heard a word I said. Um, So, like, for example, I at one point was saying how um, the government should sponsor a um, uh, national action plan for suicide prevention. And said, you know, like, yes, this is a crisis amongst a lot of indigenous nations and in a lot of indigenous communities, 11 times the national average. But it's also the second leading cause of death for anybody under 30 years old. Um, Even if your government doesn't care about indigenous people, you should, you know, care about these, I guess. And so I tried to like I, I poured it all out there and he like came at this rebuttal that was. I think rooted from a place where he thought I was accusing him of not caring about indigenous people, which like maybe I was honestly under the surface of it all. But it was a really reactive, angry response I received back. Um, And like I, I just had to like take a deep breath. And I a therapist might tell me it's a bad thing, but I was actually a bit smug about the whole thing because I was like, you know what? this time at least it feels like he heard me. Like that anger, at least that he's giving me, means that like at least something moved. And before that I felt like I was talking to a robot, like I was talking to a wall of a human being. Um, And then it also showed me the value in being like, no, it's gonna be uncomfortable. Like a lot of these things like, and it's going to make actually probably white settler folks angry a lot of the time. And uh, even the prime minister (laughs) and like that that was being able to do it on that scale was a way that made me, I think, comfortable with discomfort in a way that might have taken me a lot longer to do. Um, So all of those years I was on the PMYC, every experience felt like so heightened. Um, But uh, I think it was necessary for like thinking about uh, how I could come to be to these spaces today.
1: Prime Minister Justin Trudeau the wall robot of Prime Ministers, both a robot and a wall. Um, <laughs> and behind that, behind those bricks on the wall, behind that metallic skin, um, a defensive, mediocre white settler man that uh, um, certainly has earned his stripes in being yelled at um, and should earn his stripe in having his headdress taken away, just like the Pope. Um, This is the first season of Red Surgeons. There are a number of episodes that you've recorded that you will be recording, um, this being a teaser episode for the start of the season. Um, What do you want people to take away from this first season? of red surgeons what do you want people to feel what what message do you want folks to receive um how do you want folks to think differently after this first season
0: um i hope some parts of it are insightful in terms of like what i've been trying to do with it at the beginning is at least provide some context of like how I understand the conversations to date. Um, so, when I talked about, for example, in the episode about indigeneity and blackness, I was saying, you know, I didn't know for a long time the histories of solidarities that were there. And so, this is what I know about it now. This is where I think there are still gaps. This is where I think maybe we should be talking about it more. Um, and so, maybe that's insightful for people who, like me up until recent years, didn't hear about those things. But more than that, um, like, I don't intend for anything in the conversations to necessarily be like a how-to guide on how to like <laughs> have how to think about uh, indigeneity and blackness or how to think about solidarity in that way. Um, more than anything, I hope it encourages space in your own thinking and then maybe in turn in your own circles to have similar conversations. And I think if we're doing that, then we're on the right trajectory um, for something, um, for that liberation that I guess I mentioned earlier. Um, so hopefully... Um, it can be useful in that way for people maybe in their classrooms or in their own bar conversations or <laughs> in what space it may be, um, but like having it being um, the the important thing to do and something that I don't think we often get enough space or time to do, um, to just sit and, and theorize and discuss those things with one another about our communities. So,
1: yeah. Yeah.